Sports Talk on 702 with Mutle Madulini. For the curious. If you've missed that interview with uh, Leeds club legend Lucas Khatebe, uh, well, also former Bafana Bafana captain, uh, you can catch it on livepodcast.fm or check under the Sports Talk tab on 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za and you'll be able to listen to that podcast. What a great gent. And uh, you can just hear he is absolutely over the moon. The conversation now will shift from football to rugby. I'm going to be speaking to Chiliboy uh, Ralapele, who, uh, of course, you might know him uh, for all sorts of reasons. He is a former Springbok hooker, as well as the first black person to captain the box. Uh, it was an unofficial test, so, um, you know, uh, Siakolisi remains the first black test captain of the Springboks. But Chiliboy, of course, um, you know, he was a childhood star and he sort of came through the ranks and we've all watched his career. And um, we're going to speak about a, a number of things, but... Um, you know, I, I want to start on off on the WhatsApp line that uh, a few WhatsApps that have already come through from the throw forward that I did at the start of the show. This one is from Emil in four. He says, "Good evening, Butler. If you've ever had an interest in rugby or cricket, then you would know that black players have always been ill-treated and racially abused. This stems from club level all the way through to provincial and national level. I've been disgusted to read about the abuse of black players this week, and I'm glad that the players have had the guts to speak up and really hope these issues get looked into, Emil. And we all." All do, of course, because, yeah, it is not the easiest uh, thing being a black or a player of color um, trying to make it into um, the professional world of sports in this country. But we're going to talk about a lot more than that. Chili Boy, uh, I appreciate your time on the show tonight. Welcome to Sports Talk. It's so good to be talking to you. Are you well? No, I'm very well. And thank you for having me this evening. Uh, good evening uh, to the listeners as well. So it's great to be back on this platform. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good to be able to 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 get your thoughts on on, on things, and of course, you've been in the media um, for all sorts of reasons. And you know, for those who don't know, it is uh, you've been charged with an eight-year uh, ban for a third doping offence. Um, and I just want to get your your thoughts on that without making any assumption or presumptions, especially if somebody doesn't actually know uh, what the whole story is and or what's going on. What do you make of all of this? With of course, what you can tell us uh, at the moment. Well, I mean, I'm just going to be frank. Obviously, I don't think there's anything to hide uh, because I think there's stories out there and uh, and as, as, as much as uh, everything is out there, I, I still believe that um, I'm innocent of all, all charges and and that's why, hence why we've uh, opted to, um, to, to go for appeal. Now, you know, we, I mean, we've seen this happened before uh, and especially there was one incident that stood out where you were implicated beyond Basson as well if I'm not mistaken and, and you guys were cleared of that incident uh, and, and you know people don't really understand and a lot of people reading uh, tend to you know throw their arms up in the air and go oh but you're a professional you should be more careful you should but people don't really understand what goes into you know the nutrition on a field of practice or field of play and, and how much control you guys actually have of that no, no, definitely. I, I think uh, just to put things into perspective is, is that uh, what people don't know is that in the 2010 case is that if all the Spurmock players got tested on that day, everybody would have come out positive. So myself and, and uh, my colleague who was, uh, was, being, was implicated, who you just said his name now, is, is, is that 
we were both uh, called up to do the test. And funny how that I was not even part of the play. I, I didn't play on, on the day. Yes, I was part of the, tw- of the 22 that played, but I did not play. I didn't get a minute on the park. Mm. And yes, I was called up to, to do, the, do the test, and it came out positive. But if the whole squad had been tested, it would have been a different dynamics. And again, and then SA Rugby goes back and they they came back apologizing for what had happened. Then today, you look at today's case, it's like it's the same people that kind of treated me in 2010 and the same thing is happening. So the same sequence, same sequence mm. event is happening today. And that's why, hence why I'm fighting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting my innocence and I'm appealing this case. I don't know how much you can tell us in terms of, um, you know, what transpired, in what circumstances you were found guilty and what transpired to before those circumstances or for those circumstances to take place? Well, what, what transpired is that I was, I, was noti- I was notified by the shop manager that uh, they found a substance in, in, my, in my sample which they collected and the substance was veronal. So now moving forward is that uh, why am I appealing? My grounds of appeal, uh, we've got many grounds of appeal and and part of the grounds of appeal that I'll share with you now is that one of them that that we are adamant is that DCO lied about the partial sample which I provided Mm. and the panel was incorrect when it held that the DCO was free to depart from the DCS during the out of competition testing. Then again, a documented chain of custody on where about the sample was kept for 12 hours was not provided. So, so now you, you, you look at uh, all these events and you think to yourself that, well, a fair enough panel would have made a good enough uh, decision, which goes back to the system being very unjust. Mm. And again, that's one here. I'm fighting fighting for my career and I'm appealing it because I feel I've just been targeted and the case was treated unfairly without uh, consideration of all the submissions. Mm. And I mean, we we hear that, and it's, it's very uh, funny that you know, as you mentioned, the the, the uh, was it twelve or twenty four hours undocumented at uh, the time that lapsed, where nobody knew where the sample was. And I mean, you you can't have such uh, incidences in uh, something that's this important and that, that that's uh, that needs to be handled with such velvet gloves. Um, when we're, I want to talk about that targeted as well, but I, just very quickly before we move on to uh, that aspect of the world of rugby and. And the world of professional sports, especially in South Africa, uh, can you just talk us through the average nutritional regime, the, the kind of stuff that you, you you would consume on the daily when you are a rugby player, a professional rugby player? That is. Well, I mean, being a professional player, yes, it, it does uh, take, take take a lot of uh, discipline in terms of your nutritional side, and I think in any sport doesn't. Not only in sport, and not only in rugby, but in all sports in general. So, but on the rugby side, that you see, there's certain nutritional um, uh, nutritional uh, channels that you gotta follow every day, and you gotta respect in order to give your body a fair enough opportunity to recover. Because the main thing why you do take uh, nutrition, uh, nutritional supplements, and you eat well and healthy is because you're trying to give your body a fair enough opportunity to recover so that it's able to perform the next day. So 
the, the route is basically, it's simple. It's a, like everybody, you'll get up and have your breakfast or have your pre-breakfast, and after training, you'll have your, your other snack meal, then you'll have a supplement which is provided by the club. So each, mm. each every club also provides supplements to the players. So now, the funny thing is, when you go back to 2010, those, those rules had to change because now they made even players find indemnity form to say that if you caught with something, you can come back to the club and say and point back to the club, but you guys gave me a supplement that was contaminated. So again, there is almost a, a, a line, a fine line, whereby who protects who. So and, and whose whose interest is, is at which side? So do you walk into your into your office every day? Well, I can't drink that water because it might be contaminated. No, you can't be like that. It, 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 there's got to be almost a transparency in between the working environment and the working space and full trust in the whole thing. But if the system is not fair, then that's not the transparency will not exist. Mm. Mm, sure. And I mean, the fact that the supplements are provided by the clubs, and, and that's the biggest thing for me, it's, uh, you know, yes, they might say the onus is on the player to know what you're putting into your body. But at the end of the day, as a professional rugby player, um, and uh, I've never been a professional, but I've, I've been close enough, you get there and they say, look, this is what you're going to take because you need to gain X amount of kilograms in whether it's fat, body mass, whatever it is. And you, you kind of don't have a choice. You're not going to go and study what this thing is. You just take it because it's given to you. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Chili Boy, let's quickly move on. Let's quickly move on to um, this injustice that is that has been in the world of sport, uh, and we saw it start with the Black Lives Matter movement. Where I mean, even you saw in, in Formula One, uh, the very first race, a couple of uh, the races were said, "Well, I'm not going to take a knee," and uh, others said, "Well, I will," uh, and then. It, it rolled over into South African cricket um, with Lungingiti coming out and saying he'll take the mat into the Protea dressing room. And then we heard heartbreaking stories, especially from uh, a one Makayantini, a South African cricketing legend who some might say was his career was ended prematurely as he was on the cusp of a milestone that uh, no other cricketer would have reached in this country. Uh, and he was talking about how alone he was in that uh, scenario. And having also played, you know, rugby, uh, you know there are always the cliques and there are always the white kids or the colored kids with, and then the, 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 you know, the black kids are, are also separate. Uh, can you just talk to me about this, if I can call it institutionalized racism that takes place and that you've experienced in your career as this kid that was, you know, setting the world alight in South African rugby alight to a guy who has now an eight-year doping ban hanging over his head? Well, I mean, if, 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 if you take that into um, into context, is that once you step into an environment like that, is that uh, many words are said about uh, sport being the power to unite, which is which is true. I, I don't I, I don't disagree with with that with, with that saying. But what's happening is that. Once you're in the environment, you find that it's, it's completely the opposite of what is being said out there. So you get in the environment thinking, we are all brothers. Yes, you are all friends. Yes, you all, you all have the common goal and common respect. But in the essence of things, where you see a massive separation is, is when there's a division of groups in, in, in amongst teams. 
so the, the white people will stick together, the English white people will stick together, the Afrikaans white speaking will stick together, and, and, and then uh, the blacks will stick together, then, then the colored group will stick together. So again, I understand we've got a diversity of cultures, which is, I've got 100% respect for that, and, and that mm. is part of our identity as South Africans. But is it, the formula is that where is it in a sporting team where you see everybody united, everybody kind of uh, sharing the same rooms, uh, kind of uh, not, not being scared to share food, to share plates of food together? I mean, you, you don't see those sporting, those dynamics, which, which is what uh, we call as almost like a united front, a united nation. Yes, we are a rainbow nation, but we don't see those dynamics. Mm. Unfortunately, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't exist yet. And, and I hope that in the future that it will change with time. And I understand everything takes time, but it, it will only change if the system, which I feel is a systematic racism, and that's why I look at guys like um, legend, the legend Macarantini and stuff like that, that get, doesn't get the, stand up, the, the exit uh, exit celebration that mm. he almost he, he almost I don't say deserved that that he's that he is is almost entitled to get mm. because he is a legend of the game and we should acknowledge it and he doesn't get that acknowledgement. So again, I just show you. But then if it was a Jean Collins, he gets everything in the world. Mm. I mean, got lots of respect for Jean Collins, but I mean, oh, you see, then. Those are the two players that played in the same school, and, and, and yet you find one gets more respect than the other. And mm. which is not fair, because what's happening is that it, it goes back to Black Lives Matter. So it means that uh, the black cricketer, who is a legend, is, is not supposed to be seen as a legend. Because if you get seen as a legend, it gives everybody hope. And, and that's what we as Africans, we are driven by. We're driven by that hope. So people, by seeing all these legends, when I grew up playing a game, I had, to, I had to find icons. I had to find people that I could look up to. Chester Williams. Then it was uh, Owen Kumani. Then it was uh, Kaya Malotani. So, so all of these guys, they kind of gave me aspiration that I could also get there one day. And, and, and that is exactly what we need in our system. So when you speak, then again, the transformation side of things gets missed. Because now transformation, I believe, what is the definition of transformation? It's time. So everybody needs time. And how do you gauge that? I mean, you know, you, you talk about transformation. You were one of the players that was sort of smack dab in the quota era, which, I mean, we're still in, but at that time it was a lot more prevalent. It was a lot more, uh, you know, it had a lot more, it caused a lot more divisions in the world of sport, especially in rugby. And, uh, you, you know, talk to me about that word quota you get to a team you get to you know the provincial the craven week uh, side for the bulls or whatever the case is and instead of being seen as this brilliant rugby player instead of being seen on your um you know instead of being looked at regarding your merits and and your talent it's a matter of well he needs to fill the numbers um and and what does that do to you you mentioned the fact that you know in a rugby team essentially you all have a mutual respect um but at the end of the day that mutual respect sometimes gets overshadowed and overclouded by uh, an inherent belief and a system which in this case was one of inequality correct so if, if, if you go back again and, and, look, and you look at consummation and look at the space quota system, it, 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 that it had to be put in place in order for us to get opportunities. 
in order for us, because it's irrelevant whether I needed to be good enough to, to be able to make sure that I, I get this, first of all. And when I look at my junior days, it, 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 I, pl- I played my best rugby ever because it was never about the coaching system, it was never about transformation, but it was just about me and the game and the talent that I had, and, and I was just enjoying myself out there. So, so again, I, I say the only problem that I thought that happened with coaching system, it was, it, was never, it was never gauged. So how do you gauge coaching system? Everything, it's, it, it's transformation. And transformation equals what it means. It's time. It needs time. Everything needs time to transform. So I, I get I get given opportunity to play at the highest level, but I don't get the equal opportunity. So there is there is there is a racial discrimination. In order let's start them from game time because if you give him game time, he might become better than the, than his white counterparts. So then they study at the game time making sure that you struggle and you get lots of injuries because you're not playing. So that's it. And when you have to play, you exert your body because you've only got one opportunity to prove yourself, to prove your work and that and all. So you've got that 80 minutes or 30 minutes or 10 minutes that you've got to prove yourself that you are worth of playing the sport. So those are the challenges that I had to endure. Those are the challenges that I had to go through as, 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 a, as a professional in, in the sport. And I felt that the system was not fair. By doing that, every every union that I that I went to did that to me. Except when I got to France, where it was a different story. Where they they respect you for who you are, for the player you are, and and the, and, and what you can actually give to the, uh, your contribution to the team. So you play well, and and they acknowledge it. You play bad, then they say you just need to get better and improve yourself. So so again, yeah, in South Africa, whereby you play bad, it's like we told you he's not good enough, mm. and that's exactly what they want. Mm. Uh, somebody might be listening and going, oh, this guy fell three doping tests. He's just talking sour grapes, uh, a chili boy. And of course, there's always a context to a certain uh, conversation that we're having. Um, how can you put that in context for us? I mean, you have been there. You've captained the box as well. You've been at the pinnacle of the, the rugby world. Um, but there's always been hurdles in, in your path, um, you know, on the way there and even today. Correct. Correct, and, and, and that's, why, that's why I believe deep down that I've learned an incredible life lesson that I can share to those that care to listen, is that uh, junior rugby players come into the ranks, and that's why I'm fighting against faith and fighting uh, for that for this appeal, because it's important that I use the knowledge that I have that I can contribute to the future. Oh, if I don't, uh, which is that I just believe that, I just believe that uh, there's, these, the new gen might suffer the same fate. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, um, it was such a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I, I know it's, it's a difficult time in your life. So uh, all the best with all of that. At the end of the day, um, you know, we are all still human and, and we need to not forget that aspect of who we are. And, uh, um, you know, thank you for lending a voice as well to the um, lack of of. of I want to call it transformation and systemic racism within the world of sport and I hope that we continue to fight a good solid fight in that regard well, thank you, thank you very much. You know, thank you to the listeners. Have a great evening. Thank you so much. That is uh, Chili Boy who is a former Springbok hooker, Sharks hooker, former Springbok captain. Uh, it wasn't an official test, but he did captain the box. Uh, and also a man who is facing an eight-year doping ban.